Dotnet Rocks, episode 1404, with guest Jeremy Pittman. Recorded Friday, December 16th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, speaking from a very cold New London, Connecticut, very cold East Coast here, we're actually recording this in December. So uh, it's more than a month ago that we yep. recorded this show. We're trying get, to get them in line for the holidays. Yeah, be, uh, take our holidays off. And then, you know, we got to run off to NDC London. And so it's nice to have enough shows in the can that while we're at an event, we don't have to worry about publishing right away. Although I'm sure... Coming out of NDC London, we'll have a pile of awesome shows, because I've been scheduling like mad. Yes, you have. And I'm sure we already recorded them at this point. I suspect. And we're feeling very smug about ourselves being good through, like, February. We're going to sit back, pull up a, a nice chair by the fire, and sip a toasty one. Well, try not to freeze to death, because it's bloody cold. <laughs> it is bloody cold. <laughs> All right, roll the crazy music. I got something very interesting for Better Know Framework today. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, Java programmers probably know about this already, mm -hmm. but this is an open source Java IDE um, from Eclipse. It's called Eclipse Che. 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 So it's eclipse.org slash Che, or because this is show 1404, you can go to 1404.pwop.me. So this is not just an IDE like a, a modern IDE, but it's also a developer workspace that you manage online. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a pure software-as-a-service offering where you can set up these workspaces, you know, basically the server side of what you're doing, sort of like uh, Visual Studio Online does, right? Cool. But then you also can install it locally on your machine or server, and you can also install it on AWS, Azure, or Google Private Cloud. Nice, yeah. So it goes everywhere. And for those of you who are doing Java development, because let's face it, it's a heterogeneous world. Yep. Let's uh, let's check it out. And it's free and open source. Did I mention that? Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it funny that, you know, I'm just looking at the code in the in the text. It's like, that looks like C Sharp. Oh, wait, that's Java. Yep. It's They're just not that different. Just not that different. Brothers yeah. of the of the book. Yep. As no we question. Say. Brothers of the managed memory. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> Brothers of the garbage collector. <laughs> That's the one. Yes, yes, yes. We all have to take out the garbage. <laughs> yeah, not so different. So that's what I got. Eclipse one. Um, I, I can't go into all the features. You know, I went, I looked at the keynote uh, where they announced it and everything, and they were talking about all these great features. It means nothing to me as a C sharp developer. Sure, but I do understand the the layout of it, and I understand the architecture, and it, it, it's great. It it just looks awesome. That's cool, man. Yeah. All right, neat find. Yep. Who's talking to us, brother? Ah, uh, you know, we're talking a little charity today, and so I mm -hmm. was digging through our repertoire of shows and got all the way back, way, way back, to show 808. We gotta go back! Way back. So, <laughs> you know, 600 shows ago uh, to October of 2012. Uh-huh. To a show called the Humanitarian Toolbox. Yeah, that's where we announced it, right? That's the first time we ever talked about it on the Chicago stop of the 2012 road trip. That's awesome. With uh, Tony Serma, who yep. at the time worked for Microsoft in their disaster response group. Right. 
but since then has moved on to other parts of Microsoft, but has been involved with Humanitarian Toolbox ever since. Mm. So it's just, it's four years ago. I'm I'm actually working on a blog post for uh, for HTBox itself to talk about four years of Humanitarian Toolbox. It's, it's just kind of stunning to me how quickly stunning. the time has gone. And you guys and course, have done really good things. We've done a lot in four years. I'm very excited where we're we're at. But uh, it's interesting to see comments from four years ago when we were right at the beginning of all of sort of the dreams we had of what we're going to do. Right. Right. This is and, before you became a nonprofit. Yeah, before you're exactly right. Before we were a 501c3, we, and we we didn't really want to be. We thought there'd be another way to do this. Mm. It ended up being the only way to really go about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all these other bits and pieces. And four years ago, uh, Eric Van Brakel wrote this great comment, which now when I read it four years later, I'm like, oh, I can't, you cannot believe how right you are. He said, hi, guys, I've just listened to this episode, and I think there's one thing you can't stress enough. I've been working in the field of disaster response for the past couple of years, and the key point that is always surfacing in talking to first responders and other disaster response personnel is that you have to find a way to make your app at least as useful and resilient as a pen and paper. Wow. And, I, and I, I've faced that head on in the past four years. Wow, exactly wow, that wow. issue. Yeah. You've touched on this subject in the show already. How do you make sure that the software you write will work in less than ideal situations with power outages, reduced connectivity, all those kinds of problems? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't solve that, and disaster response organizations can't, will not rely on your tools. Yeah. Another great point is the toolbox like this should be broadly applicable. Right. There is no point in creating a fantastic piece of software that will only be used occasionally. Yeah. At times of crisis, there's no time to download and install software or dig up a manual on how to operate it. The user experience story is very important. I mean, it should be intuitive, and the system should always be available. I think things like Azure would be a very good fit from an always-up perspective. Although, again, this has complexity when dealing with partially offline systems, but I'll be keeping a close eye on this. Mm-hmm. And of course, the funny truth now, four years later is through Microsoft Philanthropies, who we're going to be talking about today, uh, we'll be running the software on behalf of the organizations, right? I mean, that's what Humanitarian Toolbox does now is we not only write it, we operate it on their behalf. It's disaster response as a service. And, uh, and you're right. Once you light up a piece of software in this scenario, it is forever in use. It never gets turned off. Absolutely. It's sort of a reality. Yeah. So, Eric, I mean, admittedly, it was four years ago. Super prescient on your part. All of your points I completely agree with, and it's the pa- exactly the path we went down. So really grateful to you and happy to send a .NET Rocks mug your way. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We read him while sitting by the fire drinking our Java Kool-Aid. <laughs> drinking the Java Kool-Aid. Just tea for me, man. That's tea. Thank you. Yep, just tea. Just tea. No Java. No, no Java. Tea. Would you like a sport of tea? <laughs> you know, I'm, I've come to appreciate my daughters are a bit of tea snobs. I don't know how this happened, but they, they won't take hot water out of the hot water dispenser. They have to boil fresh water for the yeah. tea. And they use Swiss filters and loose tea and oh long my. steeping. It's like, 
I just don't have the attention span for that, right? My ADD kicks in. It's like tea bag, <laughs> fairly hot water, boo-bye. You know, that's all I got. Yeah, it's very proper. Very proper. Very proper, yes. Yeah. So we do the proper tea thing around here for a bit. I Suddenly, I'm the tea slob. I don't know how that happened. Well, it's kind of funny, you know? Yep. That's funny how that happens. All right, so let's uh, introduce Jeremy Pittman. Growing up near Bend, Oregon, Jeremy enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in 2001, right out of high school, and split his time between anti-terrorism security team, infantry, and doing technical project management work. Obviously. Yeah. The Marines brought him to Virginia, Washington State, Maine, North Carolina, Afghanistan, and the beautiful beaches of Oahu, Hawaii. Jeremy left his beloved Marine Corps in 2008. He became a vendor for Microsoft, running disaster response exercises and overseeing Microsoft Global Security Operations Centers in the U.S., U.K., and India. In 2011, Jeremy was hired full-time as a technical account manager in Microsoft Services, managing client relationships and services for several customers in the Northwest, including Netflix, Dairy Gold, Pemco, Vision Service Plan, and Davis Wright Tremaine. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Um, it's quite a resume you got there. You've traveled all over the world and you landed at Microsoft and now you're doing the philanthropy stuff. And, and uh, that's what it sounds like you always uh, wanted to do. Yeah, I'm uh, here at Microsoft. I don't know if I would ever plan, would have known I would have been here uh, 10 years ago, um, but I love working with technology. And, uh, you know, feel a calling and compelled to help those that um, maybe are uh, a little disadvantaged. So um, just in a, in a great spot and, and proud to be here. Yeah. So um, what do you think about uh, the the caller or the commenter in terms of maybe not just a humanitarian toolbox, but about the, the stuff that he mentioned in his comment there, how how Microsoft is sort of getting into the philanthropy uh, business. Um, I know Bill Gates obviously has the Gates Foundation, but this is separate from that, what you guys are doing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is different than the, uh, than the Gates Foundation and they do some fantastic work over there. Um, Microsoft Philanthropies is not a separate foundation. We are a part of Microsoft, just like any other business group. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we really provide the, um, kind of application and kind of, um, uh, wrap up all its philanthropy philanthropic efforts uh kind of in a in a in a nice bow and and help the uh, nonprofits do more. Well, tell me more. I'm really really interested to hear what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was on one of these um a few weeks ago and I, and I got called out for as we know bearing the lead. And so I'm just going to come out with one of the one of the coolest offerings that we just released in September that I think is specifically of interest to this audience and that's uh, we announced a five thousand um, dollar Azure credit for all eligible nonprofits. Wow! Um, so yeah, yeah. So I think there's two point eight million eligible nonprofits in the world, um, and so they can come in and get an an Azure credit for five k and uh, be off and running. And so that's not just five hundred one c three like American charities, but charities all over the world. Yeah. So, and that's a really good question. Obviously, there's some different vocabulary and vernacular for different charities and what do they call them? Um, I know that in other countries, they're not called nonprofits. They are called charities, but you take the equivalent of our 501c3 here in America. Um, and, um, that, that basically applies to around 138 markets around the world. And so, um, yeah, a little bit of vocabulary differences, but the intent is the same. 
And is it just like raw Azure? What do you get? Yeah. So you get, um, you get what is on Azure. Um, anything on Azure that's published by Microsoft. So, uh, you go in there and if it's put out by us, um, it'll go towards that $5,000 credit. Um, if it's a third party, you know, Azure is a marketplace and you can right. purchase third party products on there. Of course, uh, sometimes they require a separate licensing agreement. So, um, that is not covered. You need to, you need to, you need to, uh, take care of that on your own with that mm. third party. But for the, I mean, you're talking Azure, it's 70, whatever, 78 different products. So, uh, the core stuff that most nonprofits need is covered. Any of the third party stuff, then, then, then they take care of that on their own. But also, I mean, Office 365, CRM, when I think about stuff that charities could really utilize, well, I, I know we could talk about all the cool, cool code we could write. Yeah. Like just having <laughs> copies of Office and copies of, you know, the CRM product as a fundraising tool is pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and CRM is a really interesting um, uh, product here at Microsoft. It's um, there's a lot of buzz going on right now. Um, you know, it just got um, kind of re, well, let's call it a rebranding, but it's also kind of an update to Dynamics 365. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a ton of momentum going on there. The um, the product is really, really maturing and it, it, it's, it's really incorporating a lot of uh, integrations into our other products such with things such as um, uh, Flow and Microsoft Power Apps that tie into the, you know, your, your Office 365 or your Power BI. So really exciting stuff. And, you know, that those have nonprofit discounts as well. In general, you know, Office 365, Dynamics, Power BI, EMS, all of those are generally around 75 to 80% off the commercial prices for nonprofits. Wow. Because you guys, long before Microsoft Philanthropies got together and did this $5,000 credit thing, you were providing services to to philanthropic organizations in, in very generous ways. Like I think about the folks we were together with on that panel at uh, Ignite, mm -hmm. the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, that kind of thing. They clearly had a long-term relationship with you. Yeah, yeah. And that's, a, you know, we had the, you know, the Office 365 has been out for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then those other products I mentioned, Power BI, EMS, they followed, um, you know, maybe a year ago. Um, but we, we didn't have the complete cloud solution available to mon, to, to nonprofits. And that was Azure. So that was the, you know, the kind of the flagship next to Office 365 that we knew if we could get a, an offer out there, uh, for nonprofits, it'd be kind of the last big flagship and domino to really, really modernize their infrastructure. So that's why it was such a big deal when we, when we announced this about six months ago. And this, not to put too fine of a point on it, but I was involved in some of this early on. This is the public cloud for public good concept that Satya announced at the Davos conference back in January of 2016, so roughly a year ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're exactly right. In fact, um, the one-year anniversary was yesterday mm -hmm. um, of that announcement, and um, that's exactly what it is, is Satya and Microsoft co committed to give a billion dollars in cloud services wow. uh, to nonprofits and research institutions over the course of three years. And, um, you know, I can tell you that we, we will definitely hit that, hit that mark. And it's, it's part of one of the reasons they brought me on board from the services team to the philanthropies team is to kind of help execute that vision. Where does the humanitarian toolbox fit in the history of Microsoft philanthropy in terms of the timeline? HT box? Yeah. 
we're, we are an early member of Microsoft Philanthropies, but, you know, other than the fact that we're a young charity that was born in the cloud, uh, we're a little guy, you know, yeah. we're, we're new to this. Uh, and you know, it was really interesting sitting with a panel with really a group of CIOs, of professional CIOs running 100,000 plus person organizations between their volunteers and their employees. Wow. Like boys and girls clubs of America? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's millions <laughs> of people. Like right. it's, it's such an astonishing organization. I love what we do at HD Box, but we're just at the beginning. Yeah, but I meant in the history of Microsoft philanthropy, like how long has it been going on? Cause I only, I only have started noticing it since I met Tony Serma and we started the, humanitarian toolbox but yeah. it's sort of like where does that fit in the historical timeline of what microsoft has been doing with philanthropy well like we said it was last year that satya made the announcement about public cloud mm -hmm. for public good and then philanthropies really only came out with this offer the past september so so fairly early on yeah it's new yeah it's brad it's one of the reasons i wanted to bring it to the show yeah it was just to sort of yeah hey you know there's a lot of charities out there could use this, but I think it's an, an intimidating offer sure. for the average charity worker to tackle what the cloud represents. It's a kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's a, um, you know, traditionally, Microsoft has always given away uh, or donated um, or at a discount or donated their software, you know, but it usually it's been on, you know, your physical disks or just, yeah. just licenses. Here's 10 WinServers licenses. Here's 50 Windows 10. Here's however many SQL. But, you know, um, you know, as, as you guys know, and as I'm sure this audience knows, the world is changing and, mm. um, the impact of cloud services on, um, not just the business industry, but the nonprofit industry and mm. what nonprofits could do with cloud services, um, has just completely changed the game. So that's, that's forced us at Microsoft Philanthropies and, and I say forced in a good way is go, okay, how does it, how do we go from providing physical disks or just licenses that you could run for 10 years, but to, donating actual services and donating our cloud services. Um, and this, and this $1 billion commitment, that's really because we don't want, we don't want these institutions to get left behind. They're, you know, they're underfunded. They're usually understaffed, but they usually have incredibly, um, impactful missions. Um, and, you know, these, these, their mission, these missions are the same ones that, you know, they're in our communities. They're really tough things, um, that the, that they're, um, going up against. And we want to equip them and we basically want to, want to kind of give them a boost to get them on par with the commercial industry, even if they don't have necessarily the same um, funding levels that their co commercial partners do. Absolutely. You know, for, for us at, at HD box, what it means is everybody that works with us has a copy of office. No questions asked. We're figuring out the CRM tool to do better fundraising. Cause while we're pretty good technologists, we're still trying to figure out how to be a charity. But I mean, the number one thing for us is we now know we can run all of these apps that we're building for all of these organizations and not just not need to worry about that part. And more importantly, not let the NGOs have to figure it out either. They don't, you know, we're tech people. Mm -hmm. We know we can operate this infrastructure. That's actually our skill base. That's our ballywick. So the fact that it's just under this umbrella of Microsoft philanthropy so that that's where the bill goes, you know, that's handled and makes our life substantially simpler. Hmm. So let's say I have a, a charity that I represent, and yes, we do need cloud stuff. How do I go about applying for it? How do I get started? Yeah, so um, all this is, is meant to be automated, and you can just get direct from Microsoft. So uh, 
We'll make sure it's in the show notes, but if you go to microsoft.com slash nonprofit, that's going to point you to our philanthropies page. And you're going to see a, a number of things there. You know, philanthropies isn't just software donations. There's a bunch of um, uh, other things that we do, whether in regards to um, humanitarian assistance or um, uh, doing stuff like Girls Who Code and our Youth Spark program. Um, so you're going to see all that on there, but you will see a product donations t- page. Uh, the first step, you know, it, it, this is all like a wizard. You'll, you'll get walked through it, but you're going to be asked to make um, to ensure that you're eligible. You're an eligible nonprofit, and you know, make make sure you're um, you're vetted, and you're you know, your CEO isn't wanted by the FBI or, or something similar. Um, and then that usually takes, you know, it's a couple days in the U.S. It might be a little bit longer um, in other places around the world. And then once you kind of get you get the approved, then a whole list of things shows up of what you wanted to deploy, whether that's Power BI or uh, Azure or Office 365, and you'll, you'll be off and running. Now, I mean, that, that's still the, the challenge of can we, you know, what do they take on? I mean, I, in some ways, I think like the Office offering is the one everybody gets because we all want mm-hmm. email, Word, Excel, like those are just useful Office productivity tools. But that core Azure offering, I mean, we're talking yeah. about hosting websites like what do you see folks doing with it yeah and that's a that's a really really good question you know in general general guidance um to nonprofits who are just dipping their toes into the cloud is we tell them look first you know if you're not an office 365 that's the best place to start right sure um but like you said most most orgs know what that is once they have that and they're going okay how do we really leverage azure and kind of what's a what's a step one for us and so um, a couple kind of like some low hanging fruit I always say is like, you know, what, what are your website costs? Are, are you are you paying? Do you have any costs that are incurring um, during hosting a website? Um, if you are, move it over to Azure. There's Word where there's WordPress templates on there that can be used. And I think, you know, setting up a WordPress on Azure, there's some, sometimes it's a race. I heard somebody doing it in eight minutes the other yeah. day. It's, it's um, so you, you can do it in the middle of a talk and then, you know, yeah. have other conversations going on in, some, in the middle of it. Okay. Now this is up and running. Like it's just, yeah, it's crazy. It's, a, it, yeah. it's, the, it's, it, it takes eight minutes, but most of the time you're waiting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I know it's, it, it's all, it's, it's pretty awesome and pretty cool how fast it can be done. But that's, you know, that's one of the one of the best ones. And again, this first step is cost savings. Like, how can I take that $5,000 and offset it so I can use that 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 $5,000 and put it back towards my mission and what, what we're trying to do? So website, we also look at storage. That's one of the most basic one. If, if you have a bunch of cloud storage you're paying for somewhere, right. okay, move it over to Azure. And it's, there's obviously, there's many different storage solutions. You can have it for quick access. You can have it at, um, you know, slower access, you know, and that's cheaper. Um, and then, you know, if, if you want and pass that, start spinning up a couple of VMs. And if you have an application, try moving it over there. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't work, you know, obviously test this out. If it doesn't work, then, then bring it down and try it again. Right. Um, so website, storage, throw up a few VMs. Um, you know, those are the best ways to use that, that, that $5,000 in kind of the early phases. Yeah, but you get you get into that. I, let's push a, the, the. You're paying money to host a website, or you're or you're you're using some kind of cheap platform that because you're just trying to save costs, it is not serving your site as well as it could. Like when you talk about Azure websites can be as robust as you need it to be, and with the cost covered, like there's just no excuse yeah. for a slow website all of a sudden. Yeah, I was talking with someone just yesterday actually, and they said that this nonprofit came into them and they had a budget for hardware, and it was a grant. 
and their budget for hardware was like $10,000 or something right. like that. And that's monitors and laptops and that type of stuff. And they were excited. But the reality is they needed, they needed more than that. Sure. And so mm-hmm. that's when, that's when we helped them to go, well, okay, well, are you taking advantage of Microsoft's Azure credit program? Well, no, we're not. Okay. How much are you paying for a website? Let's offset, offset that. And so we're just doing this kind of budgeting planning exercise. And we were basically able to free up $5,000 for them wow. that they could use. And use so now instead of the ten thousand, they now have fifteen thousand dollars for hardware. So that's the easiest um, and, and quickest way to start um, using the Azure credit. Um, I, I can tell you, you know, this is a new offer. We're still learning in, in philanthropies, like what what do the, what do the nonprofits need from yeah. us, right? And no so, kidding. and there, there's a swath of them. There's the smaller ones. There's the larger ones. And so we are coming out with some kind of like kick, uh, get started kind of Kickstarter packs. Um, you know, set up a WordPress site, mm-hmm. put it to your store, put, put your data up in Azure, use it for your, uh, media management solution. Um, set up some a- Azure Active Directory pre- premium, um, a- accounts and yeah. you'll be the, you'll be the hero of, um, of your company as people don't have to remember 15 different passwords for all the things they're trying to log into. It also sounds like education and training might be a really good offering for, for uh, Microsoft philanthropy. Although does that come under the category of philanthropy? I mean, you're giving people all these great tools. Now they got to know how to use them. Yeah. And you know, just kind of like our, our commercial business does is we do to, we will try and develop the program and the strategy um, but we we still rely a lot on our partners mm-hmm. to try and to deliver that training. And so uh, we have one, you know, there's one partner of ours, uh, Tech Impact. They're a nonprofit themselves based in the U.S. And 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 they, they kind of help fill that void. TechSoup is another partner. They do our eligibility stuff. They'll create webinars and that sort of thing. So one reason is we're just not staffed. We don't have an engineering staff. We don't have a sales staff in philanthropies. So we've really got to work closely with the community, our partners, our field um, to curate this stuff and, um, and make it scalable. Well, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. You got it, man. It's time to ask Scooter, the Pwop Studios intern, why my coffee tastes like Ambien. Scooter! Carl? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't even know what Ambien tastes like. <laughs> oh, my God. R- Richard? Yes? Uh, are we still recording? We are. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I've heard explosions on the show before, but snoring is a different thing. I think I've been asleep for an hour or so. Is the guest still? Jeremy, you still there? Hey, I'm, I'm still here. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I don't know what happened. One minute I was uh, giving away something, wasn't I? I don't know. I think we were giving away a music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And let me tell you about Music to Code By. It's a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. And .NET Rocks fans all over the world are being more productive with Music to Code By, so check it out. And now you can download the entire 13-track collection for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Joe Atwell. Congratulations, Joe. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you, Joe. And uh, Joe just won Music to Code by a big pile of awesome from uh, from me, I guess. And uh, 
Well, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Jeremy... And this is kind of a, you're just talking about giving away $5,000. So I'm going to turn the tables on you. If you had five okay. grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, I would be looking at those, um, the new surface devices that just the oh, the surface, surface studio. Uh, oh, the studio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't, I, those are, those are beautiful. So yeah, what would you do with it? <laughs> That's a good question. That's probably why I haven't bought one because I yeah. don't really need it. Um, you just like the, yeah, I, I just like the way it looks. So I'd, I'd be on there and I'd probably be doing some, um, maybe a little drawing, let my kids play with it and just have it sitting there in my living room. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a work of art. It's such a pretty machine. It's it just, just, um, I can imagine using something like Google earth on it. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. Where you could use the dial to zoom in and move around with your fingers at the same time. That might be pretty cool. It's just a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of ways that you can use that dial. Yeah. It's a gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous. I'd like to machine. invent some new ways to use it too, which I think would be the most fun thing. Mm. But it's a bit expensive to just experiment on. But if we gave you five grand, totally spend it on it so you can experiment. Yeah. We used to think, Richard, that most people would go for monitors because monitors are, there's something that developers don't tend to buy big ones because they consider them luxury. You know, they, they're like a luxury item to get a big monitor, whereas a, a good beefy machine, that's really important. But sure. that really isn't the case anymore, is it? I agree. Well, you, A, if you give me $5,000 to spend on monitors, I could paint your wall with them. That's right. right like, yeah. That's a lot of monitor. <laughs> but uh, even this gigantic 43-inch 4K that I'm looking at right now was, I think, $1,200. Yeah. So, you know, which is a lot to spend on a monitor, but it's not mind-breaking for something you use every day. Yeah. You know, I think it's money well spent. Yep. But uh, yeah, but a little more luxurious device like the the studio is just, you know, unless, you, unless you're a drafts person or an art person that you know you need that right away. Yeah. It's an expensive indulgence, relatively speaking. Sure is. But, uh, but I, I, you're not the only one to, to suggest that's what you do with the money, Jeremy. It's it's a popular <laughs> selection. Yeah. <good>. I wonder, <laughs> next, you know, when we give away in December, I just have to wonder if by December next year... That'll be what people want. That'll be this year. This year, right. It's 2017. <laughs> uh, time shifting things get to me already. Time shift. Let's, let's dive back into this. Because you know, one of the things I'm thinking, Jeremy, is like our listeners, who many of which know their way around Azure to some degree, mm. probably also know a charity that could probably benefit from mm -hmm. it. And, and obviously, Philanthropies is still trying to get all that money out there. So you could help your, your favorite charity get involved with the, the service and then help them implement it. Yeah, no, exactly. That's always one of the things I say is, okay, what's kind of the, the call to action for, for yeah. folks that are, that are technical in nature? And I go, look, most of us either have, have a nonprofit that we at least donate to, and if not, at least volunteer some of the time. Right. Uh, and sometimes that volunteer time, it might just be, you know, it might be working in the soup kitchen or it might be handing out blankets, whatever it is. But, you know, maybe, maybe consider using that volunteer time to, Whatever your expertise is, at least let them know about these offers. Sure. You know, get them, you know, on, on a phone call for 30 minutes on a Skype call and go to the philanthropy site together and kind of explore it together with them and 
kind of talk through what them they might be able to do with it. And then and then depending on your skill set, you know, if you are a data guy or you're a developer or um, uh, identity guy, maybe you can maybe you could help them out a little bit and just kind of get them started. Maybe with the maybe with the WordPress site, who knows? So yeah. Well, I've been thinking yeah, most tech say. people, you know, if you're, you're a .NET developer, you could work your way through shifting a website up to Azure. You know, it's oh, not absolutely. like you're going to be an expert in it because nobody's really an expert in it. You don't do it every day. But you're in a better in better shape to read technical documents, to work through the process, to come up with a test plan, and to know you're not breaking the existing site while you shift this thing. Like you could work this out much with much more efficiency and confidence than someone who's just not a technical person. Yeah, exactly. Developers already they already possess those critical thinking skills yeah. where um, they could follow documentation and, and get this done for their for their nonprofit, no doubt. Yeah, and lift and shift is not the sexiest thing in the world, but you're simply talking about helping that charity use their donations more efficiently, right? That's just money in the bank. They can help yep. more people, right? It doesn't matter what charity it is. Those kinds of services are going to make a big difference to them. And I just I feel like, you know, this yeah. is why I made HDBox in the first place. Could we actually use these skills we spent years cultivating in this role to help people? Yep. So then you get into more interesting projects. Now, again, recall back to that Boys and Girls Club where they were talking about, I don't know, 1,400 remote offices, and they're just trying to coordinate information on a shoestring budget of backbone. So suddenly something like Azure comes along. And, and they have 65. A, and you just have the central repository of data, and everybody has a login. But it takes time to get that up and organized. Yeah, yeah. And if, uh, an organization like the Boys and Girls Club and those larger ones, I mean, um, Obviously, it, they, they really do um, operate more like your traditional um, company, but with far less budget. But it, it, it was pretty fun to hear them talk about, you know, they were looking at deploying a new SharePoint site. And right. where traditionally they would have had this huge RFP and would have to go and oh, buy yeah. hardware and size it all and get it installed and all that stuff. And instead, what that looked like with Azure is they just opened up the Azure portal and clicked deploy SharePoint site. Right. <laughs> And it would all went up and running and they got to test stuff out and see what worked and didn't work and then spin it back down to go, okay, here's what we need to fix. Here's what we need to adjust. Um, and it, it was that simple. They did it in about an hour as opposed yeah. to what would have been traditionally a three month or longer process. Well, when you get to that large scale charity model, they have such formal processes for spending their donors money. You know, they have to move so carefully and slowly, document properly. I mean, it's respectful. You don't want to waste anybody's money. It's not, you know, a, a normal corporation, while it's beholden to its shareholders, at least has a little more room to maneuver in this respect. But most big nonprofits I've talked to, they're super cautious with the donated money. And, it, you know, the fact that they could just try things in Azure, there's that power to go, light this up. What do we think? Is this what we want? You know, what will we do differently? And, and you're just not, wa you know, you're not wasting your donor's money. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is, you know, what we call, you know, it, it, it's thrown around a lot, but it, it truly is transformational. Mm -hmm. um, and and part of, you know, just part of the battle is the education and getting nonprofits to think like that. Right. Because right. um, they're so used to thinking in the old model. And, you know, they're passionate about their cause. They're out there. They're fundraising, shoestring budgets, you know, just begging, borrowing and stealing. Um, and this really can be a game changer for them, but they, they, they have to think about it a little bit and they do have to invest a little bit of time and kind of reskill themselves 
uh, to think this way because we talked about cost savings and that is, that is one, that is one area that is huge, but you start to flip that and you get organizations that, um, they kind of get it now and then they go, wait a second. Okay. So this is great. This is, I saved some money. I'm more productive, but what can I do that actually drives more impact? And we define impact as like, what can an organization do with the cloud that they couldn't do before? Right. Or maybe. With the cloud, they can do a hundred times faster or better than they than they could do before, and that's where it gets really interesting. And you know, you can start thinking about machine learning services or yeah, right IoT devices, mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty exciting stuff. And we understand that's more kind of a phase two, that's a year two or three um, type thing. But um, we're just so excited to see um, kind of how that unfolds over the next few years. So, have you ever had any? Uh, applicants that you had to pass up for re- other reasons? Like, are there any categories of nonprofit that you wouldn't support? Yeah, you know, a lot of this just kind of boils down to just the structure of um, uh, the Microsoft organization the, the, and their different segments. And so the two major segments that, you know, if you are a nonprofit, that um, you wouldn't be able to get these offers is most of the education segment. Um, and then most large hospitals, even though they're technically all, um, they're all technically nonprofits, but you know, that's not what philanthropies was built for. We right. do have our own special pricing for those organizations. Same with public sector. Um, philanthropies is really meant for the charities that are out there helping the underserved communities. Um, and not so making you could money off it, that. right? I mean, that's right, really exactly, what it is. Yeah. Hospitals are a huge profit center. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can, uh, you can understand of who our audience is and who yeah. we're trying to reach and lift up in nonprofits. And it's not like you, it, it's just not part of philanthropies. It, there are other areas of Microsoft that work with education, that work with that aspect of healthcare, right? And with the public sector. Like there are places for them. It's just not here. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And it, but it, do you see, I mean, big and small charities, I mean, Habitat for Humanity is a huge charity. And, uh, mm-hmm. but there's also little ones and uh, obviously HD box being one of them where we're, we're just a small group of people just getting started. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When we, yeah, we have, we support, yeah, some of the biggest in the world, um, and some of the smallest ones and they all have their own little niches and, um, missions. So yeah, we are, we are prepared to, to scope no, regardless of the size. I think this next generation stuff is really interesting to start. You know, if you go down the path of using CRM for fundraising and all the analytic tools that comes with that to say, am I approaching a market effectively? What sh- just that idea of which campaigns are more effective ways to raise money? Like those are mm-hmm. hard things to do with minimal tools. Yeah, exactly. And, and if we can use that, um, you know, like you said, CRM and dynamics, um, you know, leveraging Power BI and layering on different data, you can actually start to predict um, some things instead of just being so reactionary and right. just like the commercial business, you know, they're, they're doing those things so they can make more money yep. and uh, make more profit. Um, we're hoping the nonprofit starts doing those things so they can have greater impact, save more lives um, and, and do great things. Yeah. Being able to anticipate need more and whatever that charitable role may be, as well as how to reach folks that, uh, that need your help or can contribute to making you more effective to helping. Richard, this yeah. question is for you. Yeah. What do you, what advice do you give to, uh, maybe a developer who's coming into retirement and seeing all the good things that they can do in this world and actually wants to start a nonprofit organization? 
<laughs> my first reaction is don't. Don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I went into it very, you know, I don't make things casually. And making a charity is a massive commitment, right? That is that is a non-trivial part of every week of my life going forward from now on. So if you don't need, you know, for, for step one, when we were talking about this idea is this idea is so good, it must already exist. Yeah. And then we went looking for what existed and what state they were in and so forth. Uh, we thought we could we could just join something that already existed and and help promote it, but they all had their own issues. I I came very carefully into actually becoming a registered charity. I did not. That was not the plan. It turned out to be the best way to solve the mission, which was to provide a way for for software developers to contribute their their capabilities to to, to charity. Right. But um, yeah, you know, study hard. Go slowly. It takes a lot of thinking, a lot of exploring, a lot of asking questions. It wasn't until I spent time with organizations like NetHope and Geeks Without Bounds and Crisis Commons and other folks that are technical in the disaster response space that I finally saw, oh, I see how we're distinct, what would make sense for us to to do here, that nobody was doing the particular thing we're doing. And, and their reaction to us existing was, oh, good, could you do X? Right. Can you take on this? Like, with, our mission became very clear and defining. And I think when you engage in your community and get that kind of feedback, you know, you, you, you'll be almost told what is needed and what, what difference it can make. But I would, I would have rather focused purely on rallying people to the cause than all of the sundry, the legal, the accounting yeah. that comes with running a charity. I I do that because it's the best way to get to the goal, but it wasn't the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you heard it right from Richard there. Hmm. Don't do it. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> you <laughs> know, slowly. Some, some people may have the time and may have the energy for it. And if you want to do that, then there is a path, but uh, you're in for a lot of work. Yeah, none of this stuff comes for free, right? There's yeah. there's cost to all of this. Yeah. Uh, just go in another direction here, because I want to think internationally. It's very easy to get U.S.-centric on these kinds of things. Microsoft, deep down, is a U.S. company and so forth. But when you start working in other languages, further afield, different organizations, like how is that sustained? Is it a problem? Um, when, when it, I mean, you're talking about exactly, specifically when it comes to these offers. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not that it's, um, uh, no impact at all, but you know, the great thing about philanthropies being a part of Microsoft is, is we just tap into the the processes and mechanisms that are already in place to overcome those language barriers. Mm -hmm. So when you go to our sites, they're all, they're all already translated. We don't have to do that ourselves. Our field staff doesn't have to do, do that. Um, and so of course it's never, it's never a hundred percent clean. Um, but I, I think it's about as good as it can get for, uh, for what the world is uh, accustomed to. In your role, uh, with philanthropies, if you are working, say you're working in Brazil and it's all in Portuguese, is it the, mm -hmm. does the local Microsoft office in Brazil get involved? So we do have a, yeah, we do have a field staff because, you know, I'm, I'm at, um, our, our corporate office. Right. Um, but we do have field staff. So if you're a nonprofit, yeah, say in Brazil, you speak Portuguese. We have field contacts there right. um, at the Microsoft offices and they represent philanthropies. They know how to get a hold of me. Um, and, you know, like like any good story, usually the best stories come from um, bottom up and bubble up to me rather than me going down and pushing uh, pushing the story. So it's not uncommon for me to get an email 
Um, and you know, they're doing great, you know, some sort of great use case on how an org has uh, figured out how to do to use Azure or our cloud services that we would have never thought of on our own. Sure. I've also run into, you know, charity plays different roles in different cultures. The way that I think we approach charity in the West is quite different from a, a lot of other parts of the world. And right. you can really make a serious misstep. Just a cultural misstep Just is what a cultural you're saying. Misstep. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no kidding. Yeah, I've, I've put my foot in my mouth a couple different times as I've, <laughs> as I've been in this role. And it's, it's a learning experience and it's, it's relying on the team around you and trusting the folks on the ground. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they really know how to do it, and and the right way to execute in that place. I think, you know, you yeah, trying to. Do, I, I'm counting on the fact that software developers are pretty much software developers almost all over the world. I'm sure that will come to bite me someday, but uh, you know, it's in some ways I feel like we're a part of a secret club that I, I I can be fairly confident. Even if you speak a different language, you're still building software. Yeah, uh, but when you talk about other kinds of charitable works, they, they become very regionally specific. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And especially you mentioned, Carl, I think you mentioned one example recently was the bandwidth considerations, or maybe that was sure. you, Richard. Um, it's very easy for us in our corporate offices in Seattle or our summits in Atlanta to be talking about these great solutions. And then, um, you know, the local uh, Oxfam or Medical Teams International arm that's doing operations in Uganda raises yeah. their hand and goes... Uh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Let me start up my with... hand crank modem here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we hear stories all the time where, you know, and this isn't just a one-off case. This is um, systemic and very common where if they want to make a Skype call, everybody in their office has to shut down their computers. So right. there's wow. enough bandwidth. Wow. Yeah, and so, the product, that productivity yeah. impact is you're going to eat up all of the bandwidth to make that call. Yeah, exactly. So we gotta, we have to be smart about that, um, and, and how we're architecting our solutions. And again, we have to be listening to the folks that are on the ground that are doing this work, both our nonprofit partners and our Microsoft field teams. And, and just to put a blunt point on it, like there are exactly no Azure data centers in Africa. This is true. Wow. There aren't any, you know, there's now one in South America, right? There's Brazil South, but. When you talk about, you know, we worked with a group involved with during the Ebola crisis in Western Africa, and bandwidth was a not not only bandwidth was an issue, latency was an issue, hmm. and the nearest Azure data center was Ireland. Like that, that was reality. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, much less go further down the coast, down to to places like Namibia and South Africa, where you're just a long way from the internet there. Mm -hmm. Right, it's it's kind of the edge of the of the internet at that point, and it's so it's super easy to just take this stuff for granted. Africa is this massive, second largest continent. You know, we just don't we keep forgetting that it is because mm. the Mercator map distorts it, uh, and getting wires around it takes a long time. Yeah, it, yeah, no, no, it, exactly, and um, it, it's also another important reason where. You know, it, it's not all or nothing. And that's where Microsoft's kind of hybrid cloud strategy really comes to bear. Yeah. Where, you know what? It might not be possible. It might not be possible for them to put any sort of mission critical applications in Azure because of bad bandwidth concerns. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe they could use it for their storage needs or some other kind of low, um, low impact, non mission critical items. Um, and they do have this kind of hybrid infrastructure. Um, so yeah. it's uh, we're all kind of learning through this um, uh, side by side. 
Well, this is fantastic stuff, and man, what a great what a great opportunity for nonprofits to get uh, to get this benefit from Microsoft. And uh, we have a link to the to the site where they can go. Can we say it one more time? Sure. Yep. Uh, Microsoft.com slash nonprofit. Awesome. Wow. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much. It's been great. Yep. Thank you, guys. It's, 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 it's a pleasure and uh, it's an honor. And please reach out to your, to your favorite nonprofit and see if you can help them out. Do that. Do that. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.